pack your bags real good, baby. Cause you'll be gone for a while. Wow. Hello and welcome to episode 150 of Section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryson and Jacob. How are you guys? Doing all right, Mark. Uh, the Jays take two out of three from Baltimore. I think we were all kind of expecting a sweep, but uh, a little disappointing. On you, but, you know, they take two out of three, so I guess it's okay. But uh, yeah, you you definitely wish you had more. Yeah, it's acceptable. I mean, you you can't get mad at it. But you also can't really celebrate it too much. The Blue Jays gain a game in the wild card race. They're now four and a half back as we record this. Of course, today being an off day, maybe they gain another half game if the Red Sox lose tonight. But we'll see. How are you, Jacob? You know what? I I think this was a good series, so I'm pretty happy. Although the one kind of damper on it is the fact that I saw the one loss in person. And it was a pretty bad loss. I'm sure we'll get to it. We'll get to why they lost. But overall... You gain a game, you go into September four and a half games back, maybe four games, as you said. But uh, you know what? I think if you're looking to make little improvements in the standings, this was a good series for the team. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I wouldn't call it a good series on the field. (laughs) Like there were some messy games in there. And even the game that the Blue Jays won in the series finale did not go as planned at all. They score the winning run on a sack fly double play with Teoscar Hernandez getting caught between second and third. Um, Not pretty baseball. It got the job done, but certainly if you're facing a better team than the Orioles, who doesn't gift you outs on the base paths all the time, you're nine times out of 10, you're going to lose some of these games and and lose two of three instead of winning two of three. But anyways, the Blue Jays come away from this series with two of three wins. The big headline is that George Springer returned. Some theatrics there with what happened in game two, of that series, of course, he runs around second base. He has to kind of stop quickly and turn around, and he grimaces, and ultimately he gets taken out of the game. He's not happy with being removed from the game, but we see him in the lineup the next day. Charlie Montoyo says uh, it can't get any worse than what it is right now, which I feel like is very famous last words. And, uh, you know, you don't want to see anything get worse, but it's certainly possible with playing a guy who's injured every day but of course Blue Jays medical staff know more than we do um what were your impressions on George Springer's return to the lineup because we saw what happened in his first game back the Blue Jays score seven runs for the first time in what felt like forever it felt like the offense was back the Blue Jays were back to having fun and being the team that we fell in love with earlier this season and then of course we come out in the next game in game two of the series, and we don't see that same success. So what are your impressions of what George Springer added to the lineup and maybe what you hope will happen over the next month if he can stay healthy? Well, I think what we need to remember is he did just miss 13 games, so he might take a bit of time to to kind of recover. And he was, in his first game, one for two, scored two runs with a walk. The second game, he was 0 for four, and then in that third game, one for four. So he did, I mean... I'm not really sure how much we can expect out of him. He is going to take a bit of time, I think, to, to I don't know if recovered is the right word, or get back to form. Other than that, I do think he actually does, he still brings a lot to this lineup. I think that that we can't understate that. I mean, Bichette, Simeon, they're good at the top of the order, but when you have George Springer, you have an all-star at the top of your lineup, that just makes it so much deeper. And with it being September, the lineup, or the roster really is expanded, and you're able to see guys like, uh, Gerard Dyson come in take over for Springer or you know if you wanted to you could pinch it you know, Alejandro Kirk for him and then put Reese McGuire behind the plate like I know Danny Jansen he started that th- that uh, second game that he lost so there's a lot of of things to work with here but that uh, that second game I think it really scared a lot of people and one of the things that it was odd because it was during a pitching change Springer was at second base and for me, I was at the game, so I see him walk over to Luis Rivera, and I thought, oh, it's a you know, it's a pitching change. Maybe he just wants to 
talk or go over the signs or whatever the case is. And then I kind of didn't really pay too much attention after that. Like I saw him walk away. And I think the, the big thing is, is a lot of people are saying, oh, he's limping. And so it was definitely concerning. And then we see him, or my friend beside me sees him go into the dugout and walks. I think he walked into the clubhouse or whatever. I didn't really see too much of it, but it was, de- it was very concerning, I think. But the good thing is after you, you, after all the emotions and the nervousness goes away is you realize that Springer didn't want to come out. And this was not him saying, I don't feel good. This was, this was Montoyo saying before anything bad happens, you're coming out. And I think that's maybe something to be a little bit optimistic about. I mean, he was in the lineup the next day. And also in that next day, he went to Montoyo in his office and said, Hey, I'm good to go. And so, you know what, if, if Springer's healthy, healthy with an asterisk, no pun intended, but if he's able to at least play to some degree, I think that's okay. And I, this will probably be what we see. And he was wearing a knee, knee brace in the, I think he was wearing it all, all three games. This is what we can expect. He's going to DH. He's not a hundred percent, but he's just getting into the games and he's missed 80 games this, this year so far due to injury. I think if he plays every game, he'll, or the rest of the way out, he'll reach 80 or 81 games. So at best, he'll play a full or a half of a season if he's able to stay on the field. But what we're seeing is not, it's not the healthy George Springer that we're expecting and that when he signed that contract. But as long as he's in the lineup, as long as he's not re-aggravating something, and as long as, this is the big thing, as long as nothing carries over into next season, I think that this is good. Realistically, I don't think the Blue Jays will make the playoffs. Hopefully Springer can at least get some at-bats in and it can at least compete and and give the team a chance to win when he can. But the biggest thing for me is, is just make sure you're healthy going into 2022 because the last thing you want is we rush him, he comes back too early, he DHs and then 2022 rolls around and he's missing spring training or missing at-bats because at that point, then you say, okay, what's going on here? But at least for the time being, he's a presence in this lineup and he's going to help this team compete as long as he's somewhat able to do so. Yeah, you know what? Um, it's tough because you knew what was happening when he was going to come back. You knew you were going to get, I guess, if you want to call it like a modified version of George Springer, you knew um, he wasn't going to be anywhere close to 100%. And, you know, Based on what we saw from him on the bases, based on what we saw from him, just the way he was moving, I think it's pretty safe to say he's not even close to it. And I don't even think any of us, no matter, even if, let's just say even they get into a playoff spot in October, I don't even think for the rest, like I'm saying the rest of the year, I wouldn't even consider center field for him after what we saw. I mean, um, I was at the game yesterday, so the, the, the ugly win, and I remember every time he put the ball in play or whatnot, I remember I immediately was watching him pretty much the entire time, even running up to first base, you know, running out a flyout or anything. And he is almost hobbling on one foot or on one leg. And you know, you know right away, uh, he's not close to being ready. He probably won't be 100% until next year, which is why um, Jacob is. You are you're completely correct in terms of you know not wanting to push anything over uh, to next season because that's definitely the priority, and you don't want to make anything worse. The knee sprain could be tricky. It's typically for a grade one sprain, I think it's about four to six weeks and he was only out for about over a week. So he's not even close to being anywhere or getting better from here on out. He is at the worst uh, in terms of, I guess, his health. But, you know, going back to the game where he was pulled, uh, I agree with the decision. I don't know if you guys do or not. I think, uh, Jacob, I said, I think you, you did agree with it, but um, you, you have to watch him and you know that no matter what is happening in the game for the rest of the year, Everyone's watching him in terms of how he, you know, just the faces he makes, um, him running and whatnot. You know, we really don't even know how healthy he really is. Like a lot of this, I'm sure, is him hiding it a bit. But, you know, for him getting mad about being pulled out of the game, I, I understand that he wants to stay in the game. But, you know, it's just kind of simple. If, he, if, if George Springer wants to stay in the game, you got to, you know, pretend a little bit more that you're not in pain because he clearly showed it. And they were talking about it too on the broadcast when what happened with him is when he stopped at second to go back, it immediately puts all pressure pretty much on your knee, your lower, your your ankle, your knee. And because he thought he was, he was planning to go, I think it was first to third. And of course he had to go back. And then that's when everything kind of jammed up on him when he was slowing down 
and he was almost like hopping to second base. So, I mean, I'm not overly surprised because we we spoke about this. I don't think center field is any anywhere close to being in consideration for the rest of the season. So, you know, for in the, in the case for the Jays, they definitely are still in it mathematically. I'm not saying their season's over, but if we get to the point where they where they are mathematically out or they get to a point where we know it's not going to it's it's not happening like 100% then I think um, realistically they're going to shut him down, and I think that's the right thing to do. So that's the one thing you got to look at for with him. You want him to go into the winter healing on the, a positive note and being ready for the spring of next year and obviously monitor his workload from there. But yeah, I mean, and then in terms of his hitting, his actual hitting, you know, I we, we talked about it as well last podcast. I said it's going to take him a little bit to get going again. Uh, that's pretty much the way it is for everybody. And I think we saw that a little bit, a little bit of rust. His timing's a little bit off, but he did get a couple hits uh, throughout the series. He got one yesterday. He got one in the um, the first game of the series. And uh, the one yesterday was an important hit. So good for him on that. And it pretty much led to the Jays scoring a run from that point. So, you know, you, you hope that however long it takes him to get going, um, it just also depends on his health if he's going to stay in games consistently. So, you know, the other part, too, when you look at it for the entire lineup is that it takes a lot of flexibility away uh, for that DH spot. We know that the Jays, for example, the Jays have three catches on their roster. Now they're going to go with three catches for the rest of the year. You know, in a case where George Springer's healthy, you could be talking about DHing Alejandro Kirk, maybe having two catches in the lineup at once, even though the Jays did that. You'd feel more comfortable doing that now. Or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. getting a day off uh, from the field, DHing, and other other people we've seen uh, DH. You can't have that with George Springer in the lineup. He's going to be taking that DH spot every day unless the Jays give him a day off. That's the only way it's going to work out. Um, it's just it's a tough situation um, for what they're in. And yeah, I mean, going back to the entire year for Springer, it's been there were obviously some good moments in that stretch where the Jays came home for that homestand. That was the best uh, stretch we've ever seen from George Springer in a Jays uniform, and. You know, other than that, it's just been frustrating and disappointing, to say the least. And it's not because of his performance, because we know when he's healthy, he performs. It's just unfortunate injuries, freak injuries, and uh, accidents that happen to him this year that kind of makes it a letdown. So, I mean, I don't know if you want to consider him even playing half a year. I know, Jacob, you're going over the math, but I really don't, because he's pretty much playing on one leg for the rest of the year. Um, You got a couple good stretches out of him, and I think it kind of shows if he was healthy all season long, the Jays would definitely be in a better position, even though they would be in a better position, you know, if you want to take out bullpen games and whatnot. But if him, his bat was in the lineup going back to April to now in a full season, I think we'd be in a, a lot uh, better of a position. And I think that everyone would agree with that. So that's what I take away from it. And I'm glad he's playing. I'm, you know, you, you definitely like to see it and you like to see that from him to try and somewhat contribute uh, for the rest of the year. So this is what Jays fans have to expect. You're going to have him being very slow on the bases, being very careful. And, you know, when he was pinch hit for, or pinch ran for, sorry, that game when he was pulled for uh, draw Dyson, expect that to happen as well. Any sort of discomfort that he shows, he's out of there. And I think it's the right decision to make. So when I saw it first on TV, I remember saying it right away, take him out. And I think that was the right decision to make. And it's just something that we all have to kind of come to terms with for the rest of the year. But we definitely got a glimpse of it this series um, as he returned for the first time since the injury in Seattle. Yeah, it's very likely, if not possible, that that happens again and that we have more health scares over the course of the remaining month of the season. Because, look, like there's two camps to this. The number one camp is that he shouldn't have been pulled from the game. The Jays are being too careful and too precautionary with him like he was removed as a precaution that's what we heard from the team some people saying look he didn't want to come out keep him in the game but on the other side of it there's people saying he shouldn't even be playing at all like the Blue Jays are more likely than not they're out of it right now he shouldn't be playing and risking his health in a playoff race um, that will probably come at the cost of next season like if he re-injures something if he tears god forbid an ACL or something He's going to miss significant time next year, and that's the big concern here. So you're trying to balance these two things of making a final push for the postseason, and we all know the impact he has on the team with the fact that this could damage his health for next season. So that's the kind of fine line that the Blue Jays are rocking, and that's why you'll see them be incredibly cautious with him when they can be and only play him at DH, but at the same time, they're going to have him go out there at DH and have his bat in the lineup because we know how much he impacts this team and how big of a deal he is for the Blue Jays on the field. So I it's a tough line to walk, and I understand where the Blue Jays are coming from and trying to get him into games. But 
again, just got to be cautionary about it. And it's good to see him back on the field, bottom line. You like to see him in the batter's box, in the lineup. Um, you were talking, Bryson, about the lack of flexibility with having him at DH. It removes the possibility of having, you know, two catchers in the lineup with Alejandro Kirk DHing. It removes the possibility of giving Vladdy a day off his feet. But also, it makes the lineup so much deeper when you have George Springer in it. And, you know, we've talked about this all year, but... A couple days ago, like a week ago, the Blue Jays had Espinal batting sixth. And now they have, what, Teoscar Hernandez batting fifth, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. sixth. Like, the lineup is so much deeper. Corey Dickerson in that spot as well. It's just so much deeper when you have Springer at the top of the lineup. You can move everyone down a notch. It makes the lineup so much more difficult to face. And just the amount of impact that one player has on the lineup is pretty ridiculous when it comes to George Springer. So you got to be really happy with that. And that's, again, part of the reason why the Blue Jays are being so aggressive with Springer's health and his timetable for return because of the impact he has on this lineup. And speaking of impact on the lineup, we finally saw the real Vlad Guerrero return in this series. He had three homers over the course of the series, three homers in two games, including one two homer game um it seems like he's getting his power stroke back it seems like he's finally comfortable in the box again and who knows what it took who knows you know we we know the wear and tear of a season gets to a player especially when he's never played 162 before but he's finally getting that power stroke back and if he's back if George Springer's back in the lineup if you maybe get someone like Teoscar Hernandez back heated up in the lineup um and Bo Bichette as well of course it means big things for the Blue Jays, and no matter how small of a chance they have, they have no chance if the offense isn't clicking. So getting those back guys back hot in the lineup is really important, and it starts with Vlad Guerrero, which we saw this weekend. Mm-hmm. And just quickly on the Springer before I talk about Guerrero, when you spend $150 million on a player and he is not healthy, you deserve to be as cautious as you want because at, at some point you got to – you know, we talk about this being a game and whatever, but this is an investment, I think, on on a lot of people's uh, or from a lot of people for Springer. So you got to make sure he's healthy. But as for Guerrero, he was fantastic this series. And you mentioned the three home runs. He was four for 12 in total. He looked really good. I mean, even the there were a couple plays where he didn't get a home run, but he was hitting balls very, very deep into the outfield. And it was taking... You know, it was taking the outfielders closer to the warning track, and he easily could have had five. He could have had three in the game that I went to, but it's definitely it's good to see. I mean, he had a he had a terrible month of August. I think it's it's fair to say that he was hitting. There was one stretch I think when they came home for the the first home stand at the end of July, up to like the middle of August, he was hitting under two hundred or just above it, and he's turning things around. It's 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 great to see if you're. If you're a Blue Jay fan, you want to see this. If you're Guerrero, I mean, you just you were one of the premier hitters. We we're talking about a triple crown, and then he just falls off the face of the earth. It seemed like, but for him now, he's he's starting to regain form. And Baltimore pitching, you know, it definitely is the the, the at the forefront of their weaknesses. But I'm not going to say that Guerrero is only hitting bad pitchers. He's looking pretty good overall, and we have a good series against Oakland starting tomorrow. It'll be nice to see if he's able to to hit off of some some pitchers that are in the playoff race but if you know this is what we needed we needed to see Guerrero and primarily the top of the order turn things around because it was in that White Sox series it was terrible and even this series it like it yes they did take two of three the first game was good they scored seven runs but those two other games it was it was messy you know they they didn't win because of the offense, they lost the second game. Guerrero, and I think it was Danny Jansen, actually hit a home run. First at-bat since coming back from the injured list. The third game, same thing. Like The the offense, it was... It got the job done, but it's going to need to... It's going to need to be better if you're against better teams. But, you know, Springer at the top of the order wasn't... He was okay in the series. I don't really expect too much out of him, but... Really, the rest of the offense or the rest of the top of the order, it it actually, as I look at it now, it it did struggle actually quite a bit. But Guerrero, I think, was the one, the one bright spot. I mean, Simeon, uh, Bichette, all these guys, kind of having rougher series. You know, one hit a game, sometimes taking the offer. But it's gonna need the rest of the guys are gonna need to turn things around. And if you're Guerrero, he can lead the way. I mean, he's easily 
probably probably him and Teoscar Hernandez have been the best hitters for the Blue Jays this year. It's going to need to stay like that, and he's going to really need to turn things around. And one more note, at 39 home runs, he is one more away from being, I think, the ninth Blue Jay to hit 40 home runs in a season. And he's, he's 22, which is probably one of the youngest guys to do it. So I think that just shows how absolutely fantastic of a season he's having. And you can't understate this. And th- this was the year that he needed to turn things around. It wasn't even awful in his first two seasons, hitting like 270 and 260 in 2019 and 2020. But when you're ranked the number one prospect in baseball for a full calendar year, you were kind of expecting the the 333 average that he he put up in this series and the 320 or whatever his season average is now. So great to see, looking like he's turning things around. And his average, it was dipping quite low. It was almost just above 300 for a couple games in that White Sox series, and now it's above 310. So if if you're Guerrero, this is great to see. If you're Charlie Montoyo, that this is now another option for you. I mean, he's always been an option for you. He's played, I think, all but one game. This is now somebody that's he's really turning things around and he can lead this offense. If he if if Springer's back and he's hitting even if he's hitting 270, 260, you then put in Guerrero, you have Simeon who's he is struggling right now, still hitting over 260. Bichette has been a, been in the high twos all season. This could easily be a, a very good lineup and especially once Espinal gets back, you know, we talk about how Maybe he wouldn't get as much playing time as he as he normally would if guys were not injured right now. He's still putting up pretty good numbers, hitting high twos. He, he was above 300 for pretty much a lot of the season. This offense, you know, with all these guys, it it is looking to hopefully regain its form. Maybe maybe take charge again. And, and honestly, if if the offense is able to turn around and the pitching is able to stay where it's at, those four and a half games between the Blue Jays and the whoever it is, I think it's the Red Sox or the the Yankees or whoever it is, but those four and a half games could easily diminish and this this team could take a could take over and potentially get that second wildcard spot. It's good to have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. back. Uh, I think there's been signs of it over the past, even the past 14 days, there's been slowly, um, you can see him emerging from it. And the one thing, I guess prior to this series that he was lacking was just his power because he was finding ways to get on base. That was pretty much raising his numbers back up. And yeah, it starts with this series alone. I mean, obviously the first game of the series when they won 7-3 was the highlight of it for him. Uh, what he, he went, I think, 2-4 for four that night. He had four RBIs and the two home runs. And um, I mean, both of them were absolutely missiles. I mean, the, the second one, or I, the first one, actually both of them were. But I mean, the first one was, I think it was a, a fastball that he hit. Um, it was a, I think it was inside and he just destroyed it. And then even the second one takes advantage of uh, a mistaken location off of a hanging curveball like that up in the zone. I mean, that just screams danger. And that's the last person you want to do that to, because even the second one was an absolute like missile. Like it was just straight and it just bounced right off of, yeah, yeah, bounced off the facing of the 100 level and like hundred feet back onto the field. It was crazy. Yeah. Like it was scary. Like how fast it was. The first one obviously had more arc to it, but either way, Good to have him back because this is what you need. And yes, going back to what you said about Springer, the lineup's deeper. And when you have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. clicking like that, because the thing too was during the time when Springer was hitting, that's when Guerrero wasn't. So we still haven't seen everyone clicking at the same time. So maybe something happens here in September. They can go on a run like Jacob was doing the math about there as much as you believe in it or not. But yeah, I mean, over the last seven days for Guerrero, 360 average, um, 385 on base percentage, 760 slugging percentage. So there you go. The power's back over the last uh, week. And OPS, I think, of 1,145. So that makes sense. And even I, I was mentioning over the past 15 days where there was been signs of it, his slugging percentage was still a little bit lower, but it creeping up a little bit more at 926 OPS in the last 15 days. So as much as August uh, was bad for him, near the second half or maybe like the last bit of it um and even obviously the game or this series alone made up for his sluggish numbers in august so it didn't make it he definitely made it look a lot better than what we saw in the early month of august and even at the end of july but good to see him back um it's massive that he's doing this and you know obviously um the totals are going back up he's hitting home runs again because that was the one thing that people were talking about too when's the last time Guerrero hit a home run, even though he was starting to get on base. He's been, he, even throughout this entire slump as well, he was always playing good at first base. He made a nice scoop yesterday in the game uh, on a throw from Bo Bichette. So, you know, he was still having fun. He was still kind of 
um, having good spirits. It's not like he was down the entire time. So, I mean, it was only a matter of time before um, this happened. We gone over it, you know, first time he's doing this 162 marathon fatigue, whatever the heck it was. He seems to be on the other end of it now. And, you know, it's safe to say that he is back based on his, what his numbers have shown. And it's good to have him back because you still have a chance uh, mathematically. And you have a big series this weekend with Oakland. Even though right now you're chasing the Red Sox more than you're chasing Oakland, you want to still gain ground of teams that are ahead of you, obviously. So, I mean, it, it'll be a good series for him to, or it's a good time for him to be back, especially this series. And you expect to see this uh, for the rest of the way out. And now you're just waiting for the entire, or the entire offense to click at the same time. Yet alone, you're still waiting for the offense to do better with runners in scoring position. So that still seems to be a bit of an issue, especially when you were struggling to do that against the Orioles. Mark, you were saying that third game yesterday especially was very ugly. It was an ugly win based on how they won, based on you know blowing leads to the Baltimore Orioles, who are almost lost 100 games. I mean, they're near that, and they're on track for the worst uh, ERA in franchise history. I think they actually surpassed it or, you know, are certain to do it. It just depends on how much worse they make it. So we'll see what happens with that. But Vladimir Guerrero Jr., good to have you back because, you know, I know some people were worried. I know some people knew this was just, I guess, a short-term thing. It's just finally happy or it's finally good to see, you know, him back contributing. Yeah, the Orioles suck, but I don't think that takes <laughs> anything away from Vlad. Um, not at all. Not you at know, all. Like, they were facing other bad teams, and he still didn't have his A stuff. They were facing the Nationals. The Nationals don't suck as much as the Baltimore Orioles, at least record-wise. Of course, that's a little bit misleading because they traded everyone at the deadline, and they're a far worse team now than they were a couple weeks ago. But still, like, he wasn't doing the things that we saw him do this series earlier this year, earlier this month against bad teams. So now that he's doing it, even if it is against a horrible team, I'll take it. I'm still happy to see him back on the horse, happy to see the Blue Jays offense hopefully get going a little bit. I'm still very skeptical about a playoff run. I know we're, you know, the Blue Jays are getting back within striking territory. If you have this series against Oakland, you take two of three, you pick up a game on Oakland. Maybe you pick up a game on the Red Sox as well along the way. Then you're three and a half back. Like, we talked about it last time, but there is a situation where it happens. I still don't think it's going to happen, unfortunately. I want it to happen, but I don't think it will. Um, I was starting to have a little bit of hope after the first game of this series, after we saw what the offense did with George Springer in the lineup, and it just seemed like the team was back. Like The Blue Jays were back to being what they were earlier this season, even if it was too little, too late. I thought they might have a shot, but then they come out and lose the 4-2 to two game. Um, in the middle game of this three-game set. So that kind of took the wind out of my sails. And even with the win yesterday, like we said over and over again, it's an ugly win. So I'm skeptical. They almost had me. They almost reeled me back in, but I'm still skeptical. Um, speaking of game two, it wasn't pretty, but we did see Ryu put up a gem of a start. Until the sixth inning, he had a no-hitter through five innings. He gets the first two outs of the sixth inning. And then it just kind of falls apart from there. The Blue Jays give up their lead. Ryu gets knocked out of the game. Um, I think, maybe I'm just making this up, but I think some area of criticism in this game is leaving Ryu in, which I don't want to talk about too much because we all agree it's a BS argument against Charlie Montoyo or whoever you want to blame for it. But Ryu was tossing a no-hitter. There was two outs in an inning. You're not going to have someone warming up when a guy hasn't even given up a single hit yet. Um, let alone a run. So the argument that Ryu should have been taken out earlier, which I guess I could see, I, I haven't actually seen people making this argument, but it seems like something that people would say. And they referenced it on Jay's talk as getting some texts about um, this. Like, it's just ridiculous to expect someone to be warming up in the bullpen when Ryu was throwing a gem of a start. So we all agree on that. But bottom line, it's very nice to see Ryu go back out there and, you know, it seems like most of the time he's been good this season. It's just been those few blow-up starts, like the seven-run starts, the horrible start he had against the Astros earlier this year. It's just been those blow-up starts that really screw up his ERA this year. So it was good to see him get back on the horse. It was good to see um, him match up again with Danny Jansen, who certainly knew what he was doing behind the plate. It looked like they were maybe a little bit off on the same page. They weren't on the same page in the first few innings when I think Ryu walked a couple guys and he was had a high pitch count through those innings, but once he settled down in the later innings and we saw those, you know, no hit innings, those perfect innings coming in, um, 
It was really great. It was really awesome to see him back on the mound and pitching well again. Oh, absolutely. And he he ended up, I think, going into the fifth inning or the sixth inning, actually. He was in the low 80s at his pitch count. And had he have had a no-hitter still going, I think the Blue Jays would have still pushed him. Maybe he ends with 120 pitches. Obviously, they have an off day. Maybe, I, I was saying to my friend, maybe you go, use the six-man rotation, give him an extra day. Not saying that any of this is likely, and obviously it doesn't matter anymore. He didn't get a, he didn't have a no hitter, but uh, I don't really know how people actually argue that you take Ryu out because it's just as you said, Mark. It's it's a stupid argument, and one of the weird things is on the way, uh, like just outside the dome, when everyone's walking trying to get to their cars and whatever, I heard some uh, quite a loud uh, and quite a large number of people cheering or not cheering but chanting "Fire Montoya" or something and. I have absolutely no idea what that's for. Maybe it's the Springer stuff. Maybe it's pulling Ryu or, or not pulling him earlier. It's but whatever the argument is, it's it's dumb. I'll I'll give people a fair shot. Maybe they have a legitimate opinion, but it doesn't make sense to pull a guy who was a no hitter. But the thing with Ryu is obviously he had he had two outs. I think he had two strikes also on that last batter. But the thing is, is he got rattled after that. I think because after retiring many many batters in a row because the the first inning was brutal for him two walks but after that he was he was pretty much three up three down innings almost every inning but after that that one double that he gave up then there was a single or the double the single a walk and then the two run double i i don't know what what it is maybe he just lost it after that whatever it was but it, it ended up blowing up his era went into the start with a 388 era now it's at 392 not really i mean you can look into that and and it didn't go up a ton but it is one thing that i'm noticing is that even though he did have what looked to be a very very good start it ended up not ending the way i think he wanted but overall i think it was a fantastic start and i mean he did, I think, get somewhat of a standing ovation to some degree as he was walking off the field because he did have a no-hitter almost two-thirds of the way through the game. So it was it was impressive to see. I, you know, you, you wish that you could see a no-hitter. It's been, I mean, I don't think any of us have seen a Blue Jay no-hitter. It would have been nice to see, but, uh, you know, for Ryu, as long as he's able to prove that he can get those those innings under his belt, and I mean, we all know he's a veteran. He, he did it with the Dodgers. He did it last year. But at least we can see that he's able to at least, you know, get through those innings. And the one thing that I would say if I'm criticizing him is he's got to work on uh, on lowering the pitch count per at-bat because even though he had, I think he ended up with three or four walks, even though you had those, pretty much every at-bat was a 3-2 count or a 2-2 or some large count. Like, it seemed as if he was really battling to get those outs, even though he was getting them, which was good. But if I'm looking to looking for ways to improve, it's maybe find ways to lower the pitch count and then if you do get rattled or you do you know you give up that single don't let it end the outing because he easily you know he just needed one out after he gave up that double and it seemed as if he just after that he couldn't couldn't regain form but all in all I think it was a it was a decent start it just there were a few points that I think if you're looking for ways to improve then then those would be the ways but still I think there was a good foundation for for a very good outing for him yeah I think the I think the worst thing that happened or, you know, the thing that makes it, I mean, frustrating was that this all happened with two outs. Like, in a situation where, I mean, Hunjin Ryu is just one out away. Like, you're hoping he pulls out of the inning um, without any harm. Like, he, the guy's throwing a no-hitter, and that happens. But I, the first the thing I, yeah, I agree with you. Like, how do you question somebody warming up um, when you're throwing a no-hitter? Like, I... Don't understand how, and of course he gives up a couple of hits. You're gonna try and let him get out of the inning. It just turned out to completely go sideways. I'm not sure what happened. Um, it's just been one of those years for Ryu. I mean, it still turned out to be a decent start or a pretty good start. It's just that I think this has happened quite a bit to him this year, where he's had a good start up until maybe his final couple, maybe his final couple of outs or his final inning. And he just allows a bunch of runs, and then the final line of his pitching, or the final line, just looks like he had a mediocre start at best. So that's why um, it's just it's just been one of those years. Um, you can call a regression. I think 
we're at that point. I just, I still wonder why or what happened to make it you know happen so fast because this regression happened didn't happen slowly. It happened right away. And if you're gonna tell me at the beginning beginning of the year that Steven Matz would have a better ERA in September than Hunjin Ryu, I would have called you crazy because that's the case right now. As Ryu's ERA is at 3.92, creeping closer and closer each time to four, and Steven Matz's ERA is currently at 3.8. So I I'm shocked by that, but. You know, I, I don't blame anyone other than, I guess, just, you know, I don't want to say I blame Ryu, all, like, all of it on him, because that's unfair when you're throwing a no-hitter to that point. I think it's another situation as well going, you know, just times throughout the game where the Jays go 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position, because that's what happened. They leave eight runners on base. They couldn't really produce any runs anyway in the game. They had a lot of opportun- opportunities to do so. If you put up more runs, it still would have probably been enough, even if Ryu had that blow-up last inning or last couple of batters like he did so you know I think it goes on the offense half and it maybe goes on Ryu for the other half I just I hate blaming Ryu for you know even half it it just doesn't it doesn't sit well with me knowing that he had a good start prior to that last batter or you know with two outs in um the sixth inning it just that's why it doesn't sit well with me because he was throwing a no hitter up till then but yeah I don't I blame everyone except for Montoyo in that situation like why would you want to pull your pitcher that early when he is throwing a no-hitter and when he still had a decent line overall. Um, that's one of the last things you hope to do with two outs in the, away in the inning as well. You're hoping at that time he just gets out of the inning um, clean, and that's where you hope that you can go to the bullpen, you know, start a new inning fresh like that. You don't want to bring him in with two outs in the inning. I completely understand why he left it, let him in, and I would have probably left him in as well. So it just sucks because, you know, it's just been frustrating for a team that needs Ryu to pitch well. We haven't seen that all really this year for, you know, the most part. I know he had a, a good start to a, a good first couple of months, and then ever since then, he slowly began uh, declining, or not even slowly, it just happened so fast. And now you, you know, you're, you're a little bit worried in, in terms of the, when you look at it the long term now, you have two more years of Hunjin Ryu under contract, and look at the numbers he's put up this year. You're, it just it gets you a little bit worried, um, I guess, from that situation. I don't know if you guys agree, but that's what, I'm starting to kind of think about now is that you have two more years of this and you, you know, you, you really don't know if it's going to get better or worse. Obviously the only thing you can do is be optimistic. So, I mean, he's got a lot of work to do this off season. I'm sure he'd like to finish the year off this year on a decent note. Uh, maybe have a good month of September and, you know, maybe October, but I've, either way you, you don't want to get ahead of yourself there. So lots of work to do for him. And in that situation alone, it just, Add it to the list. Add it to the long list of games that have been lost this year, late in games. Really, at this point, it doesn't phase me. It just seems to be a new way every time other than the bullpen. So, I mean, we've seen that play with Marcus Simeon, a decent, like a simple throw to first base. They lose a game from that. I mean, maybe 10, at least 10 games from the bullpen. And then for this way, you're throwing a no-hitter into the sixth inning, or sorry, yeah, the sixth inning, and uh, you blow up and allow three earned runs in with two outs in the inning. So... I just add it to the long list. That doesn't even phase me anymore. Yeah. I don't blame Ryu for that loss at all. Like, I started this conversation with saying how good of a start he had. Because I still think, like, even if he is giving up those big innings, which he struggled with this season, and he said himself after that start that that's something he has to work on, on preventing those big innings where the other team goes on a run. Even if he did give up that big inning, I still think it's a step forward for him. It's still a very good start for him to come out and have five no-hit innings. Like, you can't ask for anything better from a starter than to keep you in the game into the sixth inning. Like, at that point forward, it is the offense's fault that you couldn't score runs and couldn't make it a competitive game and couldn't just score the two runs to win that game. So, especially against the Orioles, who have a historically bad pitching staff. So, that's what I don't blame Ryu for and talked about it endlessly, but the runners in scoring position, it's something that's a real problem with this team right now. And I think it's something that, you know, by and large, it is a lot of noise. It is a lot of luck when it comes down to it. But I think that this team needs to turn that luck around. They need to change something as they head into September, which we've talked about endlessly. Um, The last thing to mention this week is bullpen moves. The Blue Jays DFA Brad Hand. So it looks like his time as a Blue Jay will be coming to a close. Lots of people ripping on the Blue Jays front office for making this deal in the first place to get Brad Hand. And of course, it doesn't look great in hindsight, but it was a risk moving into the deal and you give up Riley Adams, who could turn out to be a good major league catcher. Who knows? Personally, 
I think nine times out of ten, you got to take this risk. We've seen what happens with the Blue Jays when they take other risks, like Travis Bergen for Robbie Ray. Like, that's a risk of a deal. Robbie Ray, up to that point, he had been leading baseball in walks last year. Like, wasn't having a great season. The Blue Jays get him. They re-sign him to a $8 million deal, and he turns out to be this Cy Young candidate. So there are risks that a team takes. Same thing with acquiring Steven Matz for Sean Reed Foley and a couple other prospects whose name escaped me. Same thing with that. That's a risk that you're taking, but it's worked out for the Blue Jays. Because Steven Matz has been a fantastic starter this year at the back end of the rotation. So it just happens with taking risks. Even if it works out most of the time with calculated risks, sometimes it's going to fail. Sometimes it's not going to work out. The Blue Jays took a risk on Brad Hand. I'm okay with that. It didn't work out. Maybe you lose Riley Adams. It's okay. It's not the end of the world when you look at how many other deals that they've won that could have gone the other way that they could have lost that could have gone catastrophically bad like this Brad Hand deal has so obviously you're disappointed with the outcome of it and it can go down as a very bad start but um, a, a bad trade for the Blue Jays but alas I think it's a good uh, a, a good risk to take nine times out of ten and see the, the thing with the team is they do still have catching prospects I mean right now they have three catchers who are legitimate options and you have Gabe Morano still in the system He'll be coming up probably within the next uh, year or two. And it's, you know, at this point, it's had that deal. Say say it wasn't a terrible. Say Brad Hand was decent. He wasn't awful. Everyone would have said that this was a perfect deal. Like, look at the Robbie Ray trade. He, he had like a 426 ERA, I think, as a Blue Jay last season. I was a little shocked that he came back. Well, I, I'm eating my words I, the, the entire season because he's been their best starter. He's been one of the league's best starter. That's what happens. You you take risks, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But you know, it's okay. I like to Blue Jays fans that are angry that they even made the trade. Or the Blue Jays made the trade. You gotta also remember when where they were in the standings on deadline day. They were only a couple games back of the wild card. They just came home. They made some other acquisitions like this. They were gearing up to make a uh, push for the playoffs, and so. I understand it, and you you look at Ross Atkins, Mark Shapiro, what did they do in 2016? Very similar moves, Jason Grilly, Joaquin Benoit, I think his name was. Both of them ended up being extremely good for the team. This was another instance of that. You get a reliever for not a ton, you don't give up a ton. I mean, it easily could turn out to be that Riley Adams ends up being very good, and that would suck for the Blue Jays, but, you know, you you give up a guy, you, you hope that he can help bring you closer to the playoffs, maybe get you into the playoffs. And I, with all, like, basically what I'm saying is I don't blame the trade or or I'm not mad at the trade. I don't blame anybody. It was probably going to be made. And whether it was Brad Hand or God forbid, not God forbid, but maybe it was Ryan Tapera or somebody else. Like the Blue Jays, they were going to acquire relievers. And some some of these trades work. Some of them didn't. Like look at Adam Simber, Joaquin Soria. They've both been pretty decent for the team. Some trades work. You know, it, it obviously it sucks that it didn't work for the Blue Jays and Brad Hand is no longer with the team, but at the time I would have still made the trade. It's a it's a calculated risk and it's it's a risk I think that most of the time does work out for them and unfortunately this time it just it didn't it didn't give them the benefits that they wanted, but it's still a move that you make on deadline day. Good to hear Coco making a cameo, but um I just want to come clean with you guys. Um I hope nobody goes back to listen to what happened or what is, I, I don't know about you guys. I can't remember. I know I was one of them going back to last winter. Um, when I said, I hope the Jays signed Brad hand, uh, when he was one of the hottest relievers on the market, you can't blame me. The guy led the league in saves last year. I know it was 60 games, but he was phenomenal last year and he had a good year before that as well. Um, I just, I don't know what happened. I don't know why he decided to pitch the way he did after putting on a Jays uniform. I don't know what happened. All we know is that prior to the trade, uh, his numbers were still up. It was probably one of the worst years I think he's ever had, even the days of Washington. But it was nowhere close to what the heck he did here. And, um, you know, realistically, I had a friend tell me, you know, you didn't just trade Brad Hand for Riley Adams. You you traded Brad Hand for, what, four losses? <laughs> and Or three or four losses. And as much as that pains me to say... It's not really wrong. You, you you know you want to go back to that Seattle game. There was the Washington game. There was a few games where um, it just 
I don't know what happened. And uh, we know the the numbers he put up. I think it was a seven-plus ERA in his Jays tenure. And yeah, I mean, look, it definitely hurts giving away a prospect like Riley Adams for nothing, basically, at this point. Um, but it's a chance you take on a trade. Mark, you went over it. You win some, you lose some. It's just when you look at it, and Jacob, you mentioned um, Moreno. That's the only reason why I'm not too phased or worried about it because you have the system of prosper or the the catching the depth is massive you have three catchers right now that's something that's going to have to be addressed in the offseason alone with Kirk Maguire and Jansen um you have Mare- you have Moreno like I said uh maybe some point next year that's not even a guarantee but he's coming and that's why he's going to be um, leading the way in that as well. So you're loaded with catching prospects. There still may be a trade this winter. You can't rule it out in terms of one of those three. It's something that they have to address because you can't carry three catchers uh, for a full season next year. So we'll see what happens with that. But, you know, for that, that's the basically the, the gist of it. You win some, you lose some. You took a chance on a reliever who you previously had interest in, a reliever who you thought would help the bullpen. I'm sure anyone really... You know, you had to imagine that he was going to, at first when the trade happened, that he was going to help in some way. Like, I don't think any of us were expecting him to be DFA'd a month later. So that's why for all the people who hated or hate on the trade now, you know, how do you hate on the trade going back? You don't hate on the trade a month before, but you understand the trade. You understand what they were thinking. You understand why they did it and why it was Riley Adams who was traded, why they got a reliever. So, you know, I understood the thinking and yeah, it just didn't work out. And, um, you know, Brad Hand, I don't know who if a team's going to claim him or not or what the future holds for him, but uh, it just uh, it sucks the way it ended. So, you know, you, you, you're st- in the meantime, you have a couple prospects now who have rejoined the bullpen moving forward from Brad Hand. You have Nate Pearson, you have Brian Baker, who I guess we're going to talk about later on. And, of course, you still have Julian Merriweather, who is on his way back and currently in AAA Buffalo. So things are looking somewhat up for the bullpen. Ross Stripling, you can't rule out as well, who's, I think, starting to throw again. He's going to come back as a reliever. So you have a lot of options coming your way for that. And in terms of lefties as well, you have Taylor Saucedo and you've had Tim Meza this year who've done a great job, especially Tim Meza. So, you know, you're, 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 you're okay in terms of lefties, but for Brad Hand, um, yeah, just um, obviously a forgettable tenure and something that I think all of us are going to try and forget. Yeah, and we'll see what Nate Pearson and Brian Baker offer out of the bullpen, but I'm super excited to see them get into games. We saw what Nate Pearson, first what he's done in AAA this season over the last month, um, he's got really good numbers there. I think he only gave up two runs in his last six outings or something like that. It's been a really strong pitching for him out of the bullpen. His last AAA appearance, he struck out the side on 13 pitches. So he really hasn't had any struggles in AAA this year. So you're hoping for the best when he comes up here. You can do what we saw in 2020 in that postseason series against Tampa Bay, that he can just come in and mow down batters. That's what you're hoping for. And the Blue Jays, Outside of Jordan Romano, they don't really have that flamethrower to the bullpen. You know, they have those other good arms like Tim Meza, Adam Simber, but those are very different types of arms than someone who's just going to go out there and, you know, shock you with their fastball and slider. And that's what Nate Pearson is, and that's what the Blue Jays need out of the bullpen. So super excited to see what he can do there. Also super excited for Brian Baker. Baker, I, like, honestly, when the Blue Jays said they were calling him up, I kind of went, who? Like, like, who is this guy? Because I feel like no one's been talking about him, but he has great numbers in AAA as well. He has an ERA around 1.6. Um, he's been their closer in Buffalo, and he's been fantastic. So I'm excited to see what he has to offer in the majors as well. So both these guys should solidify the bullpen a little bit. And, of course, now we have expanded rosters, so they got more options in the bullpen. So a couple good things there that we're looking forward to. But certainly the loss of Brad Hand, like, like you said, Bryson, even if he was mediocre, he had a lot to offer to this team as someone who can come in in the middle innings and someone who can bridge that gap between the starter and Adam Simber, Tim Meza, and Jordan Romano. Those I What I would call the top three relievers in the bullpen. Maybe after a period of time, Nate Pearson joins that party, but right now I think it's those three guys who really have those high leverage situations um, locked down, and I think there's a the possibility that Brad Hand could bridge that gap was there, but of course the trade didn't work out. But like I said, you win some, you lose some. You, you got to take those risks, and sometimes those, those risks don't pay off. So um, we'll leave it there for this week. Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode, and we're looking forward to this big series against Oakland. It, like As much as we talk about the Blue Jays still having a chance, 
if the Blue Jays lose this series, I think two out of three, they're done. I I know we've said that a million times, but um, I think this is a big series coming up against Oakland. Predictions. I know you. Th- okay. If they lose, you are right. It is over. But do you think? Do you think they lose two out of three, or everyone predictions? I'll be optimistic. I'm gonna regret this. I know in 24 hours, but I'm gonna say they take two of three. I'm see before I make anything. I'm looking at the starters. So it's Alec Manoa versus Sean Manaya in Game One. Then it's Barrios versus never seen that name. Paul Blackburn. Yeah, it's been a while. I think since the Blue Jays have seen Oakland, but they have. Brios in game three, and then Robbie Ray versus Cole Irvins. Just based on pitching, I think they could take two of three. I'll be honest. I'll agree with you there, Mark. Offense might let us down, but uh, two of three, I think, is is reasonable to expect. Wow, you guys are you guys are regretting your predictions. Um, uh, you're gonna. I might regret what I'm about to say here. Uh, there, no. I still think they're due for a run. No. I'm calling a sweep. The broom. Oh my I'm calling a sweep. goodness. This is my last Holy chance to be cow. optimistic. I think by the end of the weekend or at some point next week, we're also going to have a kind of an understanding of where they sit because the one thing I didn't even realize is after this this series, they're they're off to New York and uh, Tampa on the road. That's going to be tough, but I think either at the end of this weekend or at some point in the middle of the week next week, we're going to have a, a clear idea, but they have... One shot here, one more chance with me for them to say they're going on a run. Sweep wow. them. And I thought I was being ridiculously optimistic. That's something else. That's something else. Okay. Well, we'll see whether it comes true. Um, thanks to everyone who listened to this episode of Section 138. As always, you can support our podcast by going to patreon.com slash section 138 pod. You can also so, uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at section 138 pod. You can rate and view our podcast on Apple Podcast, and you can watch our podcast on YouTube, or if you do watch our podcast on YouTube, you can listen to them wherever you find podcasts. So, looking forward to that sweep of Oakland, however unlikely, um, and we'll catch you after that. Never have